Have you ever asked this question, what's in it for me? I mean, what am I going to get out of it? Now, if you've been raised like me in a, in a respectable Christian home, that might be a question that you've shied away from because you don't want to seem like you're selfish. You don't want to see, seem like you're just thinking about yourself. And, and uh, why would you ask that question? And why, why would you ask that question about Christianity or following Jesus Christ? That would seem pretty selfish. But, but you know, that's not a bad question. It's not wrong to ask what's in it for me in relation to um, you being a Christian. Are you following after Jesus Christ? Are you making biblical, biblically-based decisions in your life? You should be asking, and it's okay to ask that question, what's in it for me? Now, there are places in the New Testament that we see this question being asked, and in, in, in some places there, there is a negative connotation. I, I think uh, of the one time when uh, Jesus' disciples came up to him and, and some of his cousins wanted to be seated on his right hand and his left hand. When, when you have your kingdom, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus, we want to be on your right and we want to be on your left. And they got their mom petitioning for them and, and they were kind of rebuked uh, for that. Not because of the question, though, what's in it for me. They were rebuked because um, who are they to command or demand those high positions in the kingdom of God that wasn't theirs to give and so they were rebuffed for that. But there's other places that that, that question is asked, and it is not, it is not uh, denigrated as a bad question. I think of Luke chapter 18, and the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus, and he says, uh, Rabbi, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this uh, rich guy, he had a lot going for him. He, he said that he's followed all the laws. He's He's kept the law of God, and, and Jesus doesn't rebuke him for that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, to get eternal life, to make my eternity better for me? He doesn't rebuke him for asking the question. Jesus speaks right to this man's heart, what he needs to hear exactly, and, and he says to sell all that you have and store for yourselves treasure in heaven. And so he doesn't rebuff the question and he actually um, doubles down on the question he says if you want to have treasure if you want to have eternal life if you want to have the best possible life in the world that is yet to come in my kingdom here's how you do it the, the question was a good question then I think of the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23 one of the thieves on the uh, cross one of the thieves says to Jesus hey save yourself you, you said you could save yourself save yourself save us then the other thief rebukes him and says, can't you see this man has done nothing wrong? And then what does he say to Jesus? He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In essence, he's saying, Jesus, help me. Remember me. Save me. I believe your kingdom is real. I believe in you. Um, I don't want my life to be wasted. He was concerned about his life. About that was, that was yet to come for him. And Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The question, what's in it for me, is, is not a bad question. The final example is with Peter and uh, the disciples. Peter is sort of the spokesperson as he is for the disciples in Mark chapter 10, verses 28, 29, and 30 says, Jesus, man, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus says, 
Everyone who gives up, essentially, their life, their job, their family, their way of life for me will receive a hundredfold in the kingdom that is yet to come. Jesus promises them eternal life and, and, and something better that is in store. He didn't say, Peter, how dare you ask that question? How can you ask that? Actually, in other places, Jesus says to count the cost, to consider the cost. Asking that question, what's in it for me, is not a bad question. For those of you who seek to follow Christ with your life, you call yourself a Christian, you seek to make biblically-based decisions in your life. For you young people who are saying, I'm going to commit to purity before I am married. I'm not going to give myself away sexually. You might be ridiculed for it. You might be scorned for it. But for you who make that Christ-like decision, for those of you who say, I will not um, uh, uh, pay back my enemy. I will pray for my enemy. And you live out the words and the teachings of Jesus. For, for those of you who are lied about and you're reviled and you're hated for Christ's sake, I'm here to tell you today that being a Christian is worth it. There are benefits, there are glorious benefits, great benefits in store for those who follow after God. So the big idea today, and I would say uh, for Psalm 103, if we were to sum it up, I would say this, God is wonderfully good, and he lavishes awesome benefits upon his children. So praise him, so bless his name. That is the message of Psalm 103. Actually, that's the end of the psalm. It's the beginning of the psalm, but it's also the end. Psalm 103, verse 20. Now we're ready for some of the text. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The psalmist, David, ends up with this hymn of praise in the same way he started by praising the Lord. All creation, you bless the Lord. He is wonderfully good. He has great things for those who follow after Him. This is the message of Psalm 103. Now, I want to read the first five verses. We're going to concentrate on them this time around on our summer playlist. And I want to read it to you in two different versions just to get a flavor for uh, the translations. And in one of them you might have heard maybe years ago, King James Version, and then the second one will be the New Living Translation. I think they both give a good flavor for what the Hebrew text is saying. And then the rest of the message will be preaching using the English Standard Version. This is first the King James Version. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in, within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. So if satisfieth doesn't speak your language, listen to the New Living Translation. Praise the Lord, I tell myself. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, I tell myself, and never forget the good things He does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He ransoms me from death and surrounds me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed 
like the eagles. The first thing I want to mention, and I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us today. The first thing I want to mention here is David is writing this psalm, and he's commanding himself to praise the Lord or to worship God, to bless his holy name. And that's what I like that comes out in the New Living Translation. I tell myself, oh my soul, he's commanding himself. It's not always about feelings. Your walk with God is not dependent upon how you feel all the time. Here, David commands his own soul to praise the Lord. He's making a decision to worship and to honor and to magnify God. That's good news for some of us who, whose feelings will fluctuate at times. You can command yourself today. I'm inviting you to, to praise the God who gives great things to his children. Lord, we ask that you would bless our time now, as you already have been, to speak to us of uh, your power, of your wonder, of your glory, of your love, of your redemption for your people, God. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to list the five benefits that we see David list here in the first five verses. The benefits of following God. Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Here they are. Here's the benefits. Number one, who forgives all your iniquity. Forgiveness. That's uh, the idea that everything can be okay. Uh, that's the thought that uh, though you might be sinful and you might be wrong and you might be in trouble, there is the possibility of forgiveness. There is a, a possibility of being made right with the God of heaven and earth and the God who made you. Everything will be okay despite your sin, despite your shortcomings, despite all the trouble that you've gotten in. But in order to receive this forgiveness, we got to acknowledge the second part of verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity, your iniquity or, or your sin. In order to receive this forgiveness that David is singing about, you've got to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Now, um, I, in my life, I found that everybody acknowledges that they're a sinner. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all a sinner. And it's almost like if we all just say that, it, it, it makes it a, a little more palatable. It's not that big of a deal. But what I also find is, while everybody kind of admits their sin, and I'm a sinner, many people justify themselves with their own sin. And, and here's what I, what I mean by that. They'll, they'll do one of two things. They'll, first, they'll minimize their sin. They'll minimize it by really talking about it like it's no big deal and really thinking about it like it's no big deal. My sin's not that big of a deal. And, and how they get away with that in their mind and in their heart, I, I've done it, I've been there, is, is to say that um, I do a lot of good in my life that balances out the bad. Of course I'm evil, of course I'm sinful, but haven't you seen all the good I've done over here? And at the end of my life, I hope that the good that I do will outweigh the bad, and then God, if there is a God, will accept me the thinking goes. It's a minimization of sin that justifies themselves before God. 
Another way people minimize their sin is to compare their sin to the sin of others. Yes, I sin. Yes, I'm wrong and bad. But have you seen what so-and-so has done? Do you know what she did to me? Always finding someone else, and it's easy to do. There's a lot of sin in the world. Someone else with greater sin than you, and it minimizes your own sin, therefore justifying yourself in your own mind. In order to receive this forgiveness, we must acknowledge that we have iniquity, which is an abomination before the Lord. Another way that people do this is is to um, manage their sin. That's how they get on with life. We all got to live with sin. Some people minimize it, make themselves feel better. Other people manage it or even master it through their self-discipline. To be able to say, um, you know what, I've been drinking too much lately. Um, I realize I've lost control. I I realize I've hurt people because of how much I drank. I'm going to scale back my drinking. I'm only going to drink on the weekends. Or, um, yeah, I get in trouble with, uh, with mixed drinks, so I'm just going to shift over to beer for a while or, or to wine for a while. And there's a, there's a management of, of sin. Now, now, don't hear me. I'm not saying it's a sin to drink alcoholic beverages, but, uh, but I think some of you who have struggled with drinking before, you know what I'm saying. It, it's the, the management of it that you think you're going to be okay if I manage it. Boy, I have a lying tongue. I, I, I have a, a, an inclination within me to speak of other people. And I'm going to see if I can cut that back a bit. I'm going to commit myself to not speak about others. And there's a, a self-discipline. It's a management of sin that makes sin palatable to us and justifies us in our own mind before God. We need the forgiveness that only God gives. He is the God praise his name that forgives us of all our iniquity our sin is a serious problem in psalm 25 verse 11 david says this for your name's sake o lord pardon my guilt for it is great for it is great david knew his sin he was acquainted with sorrow and he speaks about how great his sin is in Psalm 130, um, verse 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities or keep a record, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. If you're going to keep a record, God, who's going to be able to stand? Nobody is. Sin is dreadful. Sin is horrendous. Sin is an abomination to you. Who could stand before it? Back to our Psalm 103, who forgives all your iniquities. Then down in verse 12, he's going to unpack this a little bit. How does God forgive us? As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Instead of keeping a record of wrongs, here's the picture of our God. He takes our wrongs, our sins, our iniquities away from us as far as the east is from the west. How far is is that? That's a long ways. That's a great distance. That's gone. That's removed. And we know that He does this by His atoning sacrifice, His propitiation on the cross of Calvary through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, 
verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, it's Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ which provides the basis for our justification, for our forgiveness, for our salvation. In Colossians 1, verse 13 says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the great exchange. It's Jesus, the man who knew no sin, became sin for us. He died on the cross of Calvary. Jesus, in my place, the gospel in four words, so that if you would believe in him, you would not perish but have everlasting life. He died and he bore your sin on the cross so that you might receive his own righteousness, the righteousness of God that he gives to you, so that you could stand before God as a justified forgiven sinner because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the glorious gospel. Jesus in my place. John Stott, in the book, his book, The Contemporary Christian, writes that not long before she died in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor on television, Marganita Lasky, one of our best-known secular humanists and authors and novelists, said, quote, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. What a glorious God we, we serve. What a great benefit. What's in it for me? Forgiveness of your sins. Freedom from a guilty conscience. God will forgive your sin if you come to him Admit your sin, turn, repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In his book, Lee, The Last Years, Charles Flood reports that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky lady who took him to the remnants of a grand old tree that was in front of her house. There she bitterly cried that its limbs and trunk had been destroyed by federal artillery fire. She looked to Lee for a word condemning the North or at least sympathizing with her loss. After a brief silence, Lee said, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. It is better to forgive the injustices of the past than to allow them to remain. Let bitterness take root and poison the rest of our life. Oh, that we as God's people would practice the forgiveness that we have so received. That we would forgive. That we would forgive like we've been forgiven. If you miss the rest of the message and, and, and you're just tuning in and you hear this, I want you to know that you can be forgiven of all your sins. It's not too late. As long as you have breath, there's hope. You can come to God. You can turn to Him by faith and be forgiven for all of your sins, the past, the present, the future, by turning to Jesus Christ in faith. The benefits of following God. Forgiveness. That's a big one, huh? Forgiveness. Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. And then the second one, who heals all your diseases. Healing. God heals all your diseases. God's not at the mercy of cancer. God doesn't cower at the thought of, of COVID. 
God is our healer. He is the God who heals. Jehovah Rapha. In Exodus 15, 26, he is called this, the God who heals. When he promises to heal the nation of Israel and to protect them from all the plagues that he gave to the nation of Egypt. God is the one who heals. And it's not just limited to the physical. Actually, most of the time that Scripture is talking in, in, about this healing that we receive from God, it, it doesn't have to do with the physical. It has to do with things that I would say are deeper, bigger issues than just the physical. Now, that's not to minimize anyone's physical pain or hurt. It can be great, and it can be debilitating, and it can tear at the very foundation of your life. And I understand that. But there is a greater healing that needs to play, take place. It's the healing of the heart. It's the healing of the soul and of the mind. In Psalm 147, verse 3, psalmist writes that God heals the brokenhearted and, and binds up their wounds. In Isaiah 30, verse 26, we read that God heals the bruises and the wounds that He inflicted. You mean our God inflicts some wounds and some bruises at times? It's part of the process of sanctification. But He promises to heal and to bind up those wounds and to, bind and to, to, to mend those bruises. Hosea 6, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. If God allows, if God inflicts wounds and, heart, and inflicts pain, He promises to bind up. He promises to heal. He promises to restore. In the New Testament, Jesus is the great physician. Mark 2.17, He didn't come for people who didn't need a physician. He, he didn't come for people that weren't sick. He, he came for the sick. He came to heal the sick. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 14 and following, we read this as He fulfills the words of the prophets. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That's our Lord Jesus Christ, the great physician. Now what if he doesn't heal? What if God does not heal? Here He his, is the one, and we're praising His name. We're, we're singing a song with David in Psalm 103. What if He doesn't come through with healing? Keep trusting. Keep hoping. Keep asking. Let me just be pastoral. Keep pleading with the Lord. He will, He will heal you. It may be next week, it may be in the life that is to come, but there is a healing that is promised to you. One of my favorite quotes um, from a Puritan is from Thomas Goodwin, who says that God has a multitude of all kinds of mercies. As our hearts and the devil are the father of a variety of sins, so God is a father of a variety of mercies. There is no sin or misery, but God has a mercy for it. He has a multitude of mercies for every kind. 
As there are a variety of miseries which the creature is subject unto, so he has in himself a shop, a treasury of all sorts of mercies, divided into several promises in the Scripture, which are but as so many boxes of this treasure, the caskets of the variety of mercies. If your heart be hard, his mercies are tender. If your heart be dead, he has mercy to liven it. If you be sick, he has mercy to heal you. If you be sinful, he has the mercies to sanctify and to cleanse you. Our God, Jehovah Rapha, He is our healer. The benefits of following God. Forgiveness, healing, third one. Verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit. Why, David, are we to praise the Lord? Why are we to bless Him? Why are we commanding ourselves to do it? Because God promises redemption for His people. God redeems your life from the pit. You were dead in your sins. You were stuck in the miry clay. You were stuck in the pit of disease and despair when God reached down and He plucked you out. He redeemed you. He saved you. Pat Morris Neff, he was um, president of the Southern Baptist Convention many years ago. Before that, he was president of Baylor University. And before that, he was the governor of uh, the great state of Texas from 1921 to 1925. During that time of him serving as governor, he went and he visited the state's uh, penitentiaries. And he would go and he would evaluate how things were going in the prison system of his state. And, and he would talk to um, the prisoners there, and then he would say to them, I'm, I'm going to stick around afterwards. If you want to talk to me, you can come talk to me. I'd be happy to hear about how things are here and how you're doing. And so he would stay. He, he reported that inmate after inmate after inmate came up to him and, and told them, told him how they had been wrongfully accused, how they were there unjustly, how they didn't deserve to be in prison, how they uh, didn't deserve the treatment that they had, that they wanted to be free and to seek freedom. But there was one man that came up to him, and he said to the governor, he said that he was there justly. He had committed the crime, he deserved the punishment, and he had served many, many years in prison, and it was the just and the right thing. But he said that during that time, God has changed his heart. He said during that time, he had been rehabilitated, and he had hoped for the day that he could get another chance. Well, Governor Neff at that time pardoned that man. The main reason we, was because this man realized the severity of his sin, and he did. He longed for redemption. This is like our God. He forgives, he heals, he redeems, redeems us from the pit. Verse 4, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. This is the fourth one. This is loyal love, has said in the Hebrew. God takes us out of the pit, he takes us out, and then he bestows upon us his loyal love, his hesed. Now that's a Hebrew word, and I just got to give you a little bit of a disclaimer about my Hebrew. My Hebrew is no good. I graduated from one of the, uh, the top seminaries in the country, in the world. That's what they tell me anyway. 
uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and they said when I graduated with my Master of Divinity degree that I was proficient in the biblical languages. So I was proficient in Koine Greek, the language of the New Testament, and I was proficient in the Old Testament Hebrew. Now, um, I was kind of uh, mediocrely uh, proficient in the New Testament Greek, okay? But in the Old Testament, I was not proficient at all. My first semester at Trinity studying Hebrew, I came into the class and my professor uh, was a Korean uh, professor, doctor, doctoral student, and he had a, a, a thick accent. He didn't speak very good English, and yet he was teaching me this ancient Near East language that did not resemble my language at all. Greek, at least, had some similarities with English, but this, I, I was reading from right to left. Uh, everything was backwards, and I couldn't understand his English, let alone his Hebrew. I was in for trouble. I won't tell you what grade I got in, in that class. And I'm not like some of you say, man, I got a terrible grade. It's like a B plus. It, mine wasn't that. It was horrendous. I made it through. I don't know how I made it through Hebrews or, or Hebrew language other than I memorized huge chunks of the Old Testament in order to um, recognize one word and then be able to translate the passage because I memorized it in English. Don't tell, that's, you're not supposed to do that, by the way. They might take back my... Uh, my diploma. So, having said that, this is one word that I remember learning about, hesed. It's such a fascinating word, and we're going to speak more about it the next time we come to this psalm, 103. Hesed is this, this idea, uh, the English Standard Translation, English Standard Version translates it, steadfast love. It's, it's God's covenant love. It's... um. Also translated loving kindness or loyal love. It's, it's this kind of love. It's this amazing love that, uh, that we would all be so lucky to experience in our life. Now, I know there's not luck with the, with the Lord. He's sovereign. He's in control. But you know what I'm saying. We would be so lucky to have a marriage where chesed is practiced. It is the kind of love that is a settled love. It's a kind of love that is not dependent on emotions or feelings. It is the kind of love that is not even dependent upon the, the person's actions who is receiving the love. This is a settled love, a decided upon love, a love that is not changing, a love that is not going anywhere, a powerful love, a love above all things, a love that puts the best construction on the person. This is God's steadfast love, His has said love, and this is what? This is an amazing benefit. Hope you find that in your marriage. Hope you find that in, in friendship. Micah 7, 18, we read uh, uh, this scripture that uses this word. Chesed, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. There it is, chesed. He doesn't remember our sin. He delights in this glorious covenantal love. It's also used here in verse 8 and verse 11 and verse uh, 17. Here in verse 11, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love, has said, toward those who fear him. So how great is this love? How awesome is this love that he crowns us with, the steadfast love? 
It's as awesome, it's as powerful, it's as great, it's as high as the heavens are above the earth. I'm a nerd and I like to study um, different things, uh, science, and, and uh, the universe is an amazing thing. And light moves fast. It moves at a, the speed of 186,000 miles per second. That is the speed of light. And so light travels in one year six trillion miles. Okay, stick with me here. The closest star besides the sun is 4.2 light years away. That's 25 million miles. Some stars that you see in the sky, by the way, are are 2,000 light years away. So how far is that? Well, if you get on an airplane and you fly across the U.S., it'll take you five hours, five and a half hours to fly across the U.S. You are on that same jet airliner, you go around the world, it'll take you two days. If you take that jet liner and you fly toward the sun, it would be a bad move to do that, but it would take you 20 years to get to the sun. If you were to fly in that airplane to that nearest star, which is 4.2 light years away, it would take you 52 million years, and that's the closest star in the heavens. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great his love for you is. Growing up in a pastor's home, I had the great opportunity to go along with my dad on pastoral visits. And I remember going to the house of a man named Art Larson. Art was a farmer. He lived out on the farm. I remember going in, and Dad was talking to Art, and and I was sitting there, I was looking at Art, but then my eyes were taken to the little end table next to where he was sitting, and there was a a big bowl of mints uh, in that jar. And and these are the mints, I don't really see them that often anymore, they're like the white mints, little oval-shaped white mints, some of the fancy ones have uh, like green gel in the middle, a little extra minty kick in there. I think those were those ones, and, uh, and I, I really wanted one. Well, Art saw me. Art was uh, uh, a seasoned saint, and he said, uh, would you like a mint? And I said, yes, please. And he held the bowl out to me, and I went, and I, I grabbed one mint and took it. And Art said, take a whole handful. Oh, that's just what this little boy needed to hear. I took a whole handful. I, I walked out of that pastoral visit with my dad with pockets overflowing with mints, with my hands uh, full of mints, with my cheeks full of mints. There was mints trailing from me. I had mints all over the place. That is a picture of the lavish love of God, his steadfast love for us. It's not just one mint. It's, it's take the whole thing. It's take as much as you can carry. That is the steadfast love of God. That's why. Paul can write in Romans 8, 38, that I am convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor height, nor death, nor the present, nor the future, nor anything in creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Receive this love, this said love. It is for you. It's one of the benefits of being the child of God. Last one, here we go, last benefit, number five, satisfaction, satisfaction. Who satisfies you? God satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We all have a God-shaped hole in our life. 
It's, it's the way that we've been created, and we will never be fully satisfied until God has his rightful place in our lives. We can try to fill it with a bunch of different things. We can fill it with, with money. We can fill it with pleasure. We can fill it with relationships. We can fill it with uh, lots of activity. We can try to fill it with so many things, but they will only satisfy for a short period of time before we have to move on to something else to, to try to fill that hole. God is the only one that can fully satisfy us. When I was a kid, I used to love to get the Air Jordan shoes. And uh, every season, basketball season, I get to get a new pair of Jordan shoes. And I remember opening the box, and it was so fresh, and, so, and it smelled so good. I know some of you guys, there's some guys at my campus, you love Jordan shoes still. you got a whole bunch of Jordan shoes. And Pastor Appreciation Month coming up October, I'm just saying. But, but these Jordans were so beautiful and so fresh and so new and so satisfying to get my hands on them. But by the end of the basketball season, they were sweated on, they were smelly, they were stinky, they were scuffed, and I was looking for the next pair of Jordans. I was looking for the next thing, the next shoes to satisfy me. That's a picture of our lives without the Lord. We want to get the new thing, thinking we're going to be satisfied. We want to get the new husband, the new wife, the better vacation, the better house, the better car, and they all kind of feel good for a while, but they don't satisfy Only God can satisfy. Here we read in Psalm 103, He satisfies us with good, and in this satisfaction comes a a new vigor that is associated with youth, a, a new passion. You ask, what's in it for me? It's satisfaction that fills you up, that gives you vitality and energy and strength like nothing else in this universe. When you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, he's going to change you from the inside out so that even though though time may change, that things may fluctuate, your satisfaction will grow in him. Now this satisfaction, we read, extends even to the aging process that we all experience. David writes, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Matthew George Easton of over 100 years ago wrote of eagles, they shed their feathers in the spring and they get a new crop of feathers and uh, it makes them look young and youthful again. Those are the eagles and this is the satisfaction that we have. Now how does it do that in our bodies as we age? We read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Though the outward man is wasting away, the inward man is being renewed day by day. The inward woman is being renewed. You don't like what you see in the mirror. I'm here to say, and I'm sorry to depress you, it's not going to naturally just get any better. The longer the time goes on, it's going to get worse, but that's okay because inwardly you're being renewed. Have you ever met a seasoned saint that's just got the passion and the fire in their eye? they got this vitality. You don't know where it's coming from. It's because their satisfaction is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, believer, beloved, Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and praise his name today and bless him because of his benefits. He forgives you. He heals you. He redeems you. He has given you, he has said, his loyal love and he gives you satisfaction. Don't be singing with Mick Jagger. You sing with David, the psalm of blessing and praise to the God of heaven and earth who bestows all of these awesome things to those who love him.